open up your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will be picking back up in verse 14 where we left off last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. The title today is Take the Examination. If you remember... Paul has been being examined very critical, with a critical spirit, by the believers there in Corinth. Watching his life, judging his life, wondering if he really truly is an apostle. Why doesn't he act like these other apostles who came in after he left and with the great oratorical skills and the polished look and the promises that they seem to be promising. They seem to be in high demand and that requires a great, uh, great cost. Oh, that, how much is your honorarium when you get to come to church and, and, uh, and, and teach at that church? How much do they pay? These false teachers that were working their way into the Corinthian church were false teachers, false apostles. They were eminent apostles. They're highly looked upon and, and deserve to be looked highly upon because that's what they desire and that's what they demand. Well, as Paul, as you remember, was very meek. He had been through the battles. He didn't look very spiritual. He didn't sound real spiritual-like. And so because of that, they judged him, they examined him, and they felt like he did not measure up to the apostle poster child like they should have. And so as you know, through 1 Corinthians and, and 2 Corinthians, he was dealing with these false apostles. He was dealing with these believers in Corinth who started well. But then they left their first love. They, they didn't finish well. They started listening to false teaching that was permeating the church. They were seeing the worldliness come back into the church versus the worldliness going out of the church. And so Paul had to deal with this over and over and over. And God had used him in such a mighty way and blessed him in such a, in a way in the ministry as an apostle to a point where even God in it, he, Paul didn't even know, as we written in chapter 12, didn't know if he was in the body or out of the body experience. But God had revealed heaven to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if God took me in or out of a body experience and showed me what heaven looked like, God knows he didn't want to do that to me. But he also, God knew he didn't... He needed to do something for Paul's sake as well as we learned that because of God, God was using Paul in such a mighty way, God actually allowed Satan to use a messenger to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him at bay. Because he, God knows us really well. And as Paul says, I know myself real well as well because God knows me because he had to give me a, a thorn in the flesh to keep me from my pride being so dominant amazing how quickly if God is using you in the ministry or using you in the life of another person how quickly pride and some spirituality comes of elitist comes can sometimes lift you up more than who you really are God is the one that's done the work through your life you have cannot take any credit don't touch the work that God is doing through your life because if so, God may continue to use you, but he may have to bring a thorn in your flesh like he did Paul just to keep you at bay. And I don't know about you. I don't want a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> I have enough thorns in my own flesh that I have brought on myself, let alone God allowing Satan to do to keep me at bay. So as we continue here in chapter 12, Paul here finalizes and kind of wraps up, but it's still some examination going on. But it's not so much them examining Paul, but as we will see today, is Paul reminding them how important it is they need to be examining themselves and where their relationship is in regards to with Jesus Christ. 
And he starts here and he says, for now, now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. He reminds them in a letter here that says, I'm coming, and this will be my third time I'm coming to see you. If you remember, he came the first time we see back there in Acts chapter 18, verse 11, where he went there and he started the church and he was there for a year and a half establishing that church. And these believers getting grounded in the truth and getting established and doing incredible things for God. The second time he had to come, it was between the first Corinthians letter, the letters between the first Corinthians and second Corinthian letters, he showed up because there were some things going on. There was sin in the camp. People had gone and allowed their lust of their flesh to rear up, and there was sin in the camp, and really in ways that should never have happened in the church. Even the Gentiles outside the church weren't even happening. Remember, if you what they were a guy, uh, 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 a, a son was having a relationship with his father's wife. That didn't even happen in the Gentile world. Let alone it shouldn't happen in the church itself. And Paul was dealing with these things that are going on, and he didn't tolerate it. But when he went the second time, it didn't go well. They didn't receive him. They didn't, he was telling them the truth. They weren't receiving from him. Sometimes that happens in ministry. You tell people the truth, and they are just not willing to listen. They will tune you out. They'll leave the church. They won't, they'll just act like you have no idea what you're talking about. And that's what Paul experienced in the ministry. Because people wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And who are you, Paul? You're not an apostle. We don't even, even consider you an apostle. And so they weren't receiving from him. But he says here, I will not be burdensome to you. So when I come this third time, I'm going to be just like the last time and the time before that. I'm not going to be burdensome to you. Remember, one of the th critical aspects and critical spirit about Paul that they had on him is that they did not pay his salary. He didn't collect any money from, uh, from the Corinthians believers for himself. He says, I'm not going to be a burden to you. I'm going to be able to, I, I make tents for a living. I can do this secular job to provide for me. I, have, I don't need your money. I'm here to only to minister to you and to do what God's called me to do. But I'm not going to be a burdensome to you when I come back this time. Remember, he's coming back only for one of the things is to, 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 to teach the truth, to encourage those believers. But he was coming back with his brothers to do what? He was coming back to collect money, but the collecting the money was for the Christian, Christians in Judea. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That was his whole purpose coming back, is to get that money that they collected among the church to take down to those believers in Judea who were suffering before their faith. But he was not coming back to collect any money for himself personally. His mind was set upon others and not upon himself and his needs. God was taking care of his needs. A minister may be burdensome to a congregation by receiving money support when it is not appropriate. If a minister says you must provide, which is in scripturally is absolutely correct, that the church should provide to the, the person who actually is providing the teaching and the support, the shepherd of that church. But it can be inappropriate, it can become a burdensome issue when the pastor demands money from a congregation who cannot afford to pay him. They don't have the size of the congregation. Can you imagine when we started the church, there was five of us total when we started. Can you imagine if I demanded money from the four of them? I was half, it was me and my family, was half the congregation. So, 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 you know, it doesn't go very far. You know what I'm saying? But as God added to the church, we continue to recognize that would be a burden to the church. And we have never asked for any money whatsoever for parsonage or anything for this church. Why? Because it would be inappropriate because the size of the church could not support a pastor. Or it could be the opposite. We could have a thousand people coming to the church. 
And there's a lot of money coming into the church. But it could also be a burden and it'd be inappropriate for me to ask for more money or for the church to pay me more money than I should be getting. Some churches, they ask for millions for in a jet. You know how expensive jet fuel is these days? It would be a burden to the, to the church. So Paul understood this. He didn't want to be a burden to the church. He just wanted to come and to love these people. He even says it. For I do not seek yours but you. I'm coming back this third time. It is about you. I'm not looking to get anything from you. You don't have anything I want from you. I don't need to have you to boost my ego by coming to you. I don't need you to buy my books. I don't need you to help me get my Facebook numbers up, let alone my name recognition. I don't need anything from you. I'm coming because I love you and I just want to minister to you. That is what I, why I do what I do. So he says, I'm not going to be a burden to you. I'm coming to ministry to you because I love you. Not that I need anything from you. It's, and he even gives a good example. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, this might be one of the most quoted scripture that Heather does to me. Dad, did you see the scripture? You're supposed to be laying up for me here. <laughs> she should forget the scripture. We should just move on from that scripture here. Let's, let's go on to the next scripture. Eh? See, that's why it's hard. To, we go verse by verse teaching. You can't skip the verses you want to skip. <laughs> but this explains why, right? This explains part of the reason why Paul did not want to receive support of the Corinthian Christians. Because he, as we saw in, earlier in the scriptures, he was a father, a spiritual father to these spiritual children, these believers in Corinth. He says, you are not mature enough at this point in your faith. Look at you, so immature at this point, you've allowed the worldliness to come back. And you've allowed false teachers to influence you. I'm not looking to get in. I'm going to be more like a father who needs to provide for you and take care of you. and Not you take and provide for me at this point. Now, keep in mind, this was not a, a policy of Paul because we know in Philippians and the Philippian church did provide for him. So other churches were providing the parsonage, the money to help him to provide for his livelihood as a, as a pastor, as a minister. But in this case, this church was so uh, uh, chaos. He says, no, 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 <laughs> you, you don't, don't pay me. Even though it was a wealthy church, if you remember, it wasn't the fact that they couldn't afford him. It was the fact that he wanted nowhere at any possibility that church to blame him or to accuse him that says that you're only doing this for the money. See, Paul was not a hireling. He was a shepherd. Hirelings, you pay them. They show up when they, they make sure there's a check written for them. They'll show up. If you make sure when they show up and you have the check in there, but you also have a nice place for them or that meets their standard of living or a great hotel that cannot be Motel 6, it got to be at least the Marriott. See, that's a hireling, not a shepherd. Because a shepherd would still show up even if there is no money. See, there's a difference. They would still show up because... They are looking out for you as the sheep. That's what shepherds do. And that's what Paul was. Paul was a genuine shepherd or a father. A fathers continue to show up regardless of what their, their children say or do or don't do. Isn't that true? They may act like, yeah, I don't know who that is. I don't, I don't own that father. <laughs> He's embarrassed. But dad's going to show up anyway. Dad's still going to provide the food. Dad's still going to provide security and, and support and love. That's what parents do regardless of how the children respond. And that's Paul. In verse 15, I will, will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Do you see the heart of Paul? Paul. 
I am so glad to be showing up this third time. I can't wait to come and see you because I gladly spend on you. I take any resource that I have, my time, my money, my energy, my source, and I am going to pour and spend it back into your life. Not only that, well, I'm we're so willing to spend on you. He says, I may willing to be spent, be used. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I'm willing to spend and be spent for you. That is why I'm showing up. And there is no other reason than to come and invest in your life and give all that God has given me back into your life. That is love. That's not just words. We see in Paul's life, his actions follow up and align with his words. We too, our words must follow our actions or be lined in line with our actions. It cannot be just words only. And he says, though, and these are powerful words Paul says here, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Those words are words of pain. Those words that he just said right there are words that are deep within. Because unfortunately in the ministry, I was always told, Cody, it's not easy to be in the ministry. If you can't handle it, take you and your barbecue and get out of here. And it never made sense to me as an assistant pastor. Until I became a pastor. And realized, even as an assistant pastor, the more you find yourself loving, as Paul says, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But that did not stop Paul from gladly being spent or spending everything he has into the lives of those people. It did not matter how they responded. Why? Because he did not serve man. He served his Lord. See, we as parents continue to serve our children because we can gladly do that because we serve our children because of our Lord. If you do it for recognition or something to respond consistently day in and day out from your children, you will be sadly find yourself as parents bewildered. <laughs> Why would they ever leave me, you know, as a parent? Why would they say that? Why would they go against me like that? I just changed their diaper their whole life. You know, your whole, the whole guilt thing. Paul didn't pull a guilt trip on these people. He just recognized that's the way it is. And he continued to gladly serve the Lord. See, the, the examination that we need to take on this, take the examination today. We can give and give and do so many things. But do we resent it when we give or serve others? Do we resent that's the examination. Lord, as I serve, like Paul, do I find myself gladly continuing to serve or do I find myself resenting the people that I serve because they don't respond in love? And that's the good way to measure here, to, to take the examination, is to see how I react or how when you react after you've served and you find that you're unappreciated. Do we resent it? See, the Paul's service was unappreciated by these Corinthian believers. Yet he did not resent them. He said here he very gladly spend and be sent, spent for their service. 
And he continues in verse 16. But be that as it may. That's done. It's not even a continuing conversation. He says, be that as it may. I did not burden you. Oh, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. So he now brings a little bit of sass or sarcasm here. He says, I didn't come to burden you. Nevertheless, even if I of craftiness or some cunning way of doing that. No, Paul didn't do that. He says, I didn't serve you to bring any burden or try to crafty or some manipulative way to get you to, to respond. Verse, he continues, verse 17, did I take advantage of you by any of those who I sent to you? Did I even use other people to try to get what I want? You didn't come to me directly, Paul said, but did, you, did, I, did I somehow bring other people to try to get my way? No. He says, I didn't take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Remember, there was a couple of brothers that joined him to go down ahead of time to help collect the money for these believers uh, in, in uh, Judea. He says, did I send them down there to try to manipulate you or take advantage of you? No. Did Titus take advantage of you? No. Did we not walk in the same spirit? Do, do we not walk in the same steps? So Paul didn't use craftiness. He didn't use cunning. He didn't manipulate and get behind the scenes and get some people together so they're kind of like-minded and say, yeah, you, you don't like this either. Yeah, okay, let's, let's go. Let's just storm the, the, the pulpit with the pastor and let's tell him what we think. Now, no craftiness here behind the scenes. No darkness, no critical spirit that came from Paul. That he genuinely, and like Titus and the brother, genuinely loved the people. Didn't take advantage. Verse 19. And again, so now he's now reminding them again what he's already told them before. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? Do you think we've been making excuses? You think I've been sitting here making excuses to justify what I've been doing or not doing and being able to come and wanting to come and couldn't make it there because God had moved me and did some other things? All the accusations you make and false teaching, all this. Did I make excuses? No, I didn't make excuses for ourselves. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We didn't make excuses. We recognize what comes out of my mouth is I'm speaking to God in Christ. I am accountable to him. He hears everything I say. He knows my heart. He knows that we did do all things for your edification, to build you up in the faith, to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We do not or say or anything we did in the ministry to try to bring you down, to tear you down at all. It was just everything is about solidifying and helping you mature in your faith and building you up. That's what we do. Paul made that very clear here to him. Again, again, again. You might be dealing with these Emnet, these super apostles there that he mentions in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, and chapter 12, verse 11. You might be listening to those verses, those, those people, because they came to you not to build you up. They came to, they would have be say, they'd more like say, we do all things for our edification. That's what they say. False teachers, it's all about them. We come and we do so we can get our buildup for our benefit. That's false teachers. Paul says, I came here to build you up, encourage you in the faith, so that you're mature and strong. And he says very clear in verse 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. And that I sh shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions and backbitings and whispers and conceits and tumults. These are sins of the spirit. 
things sometimes you cannot see. You don't sin with your flesh. You're actually sinning in the spirit because you're actually doing these things behind the scenes, causing contentions, divisions, causing jealousies. You have jealousy that is, seems to darken your view of the people that you're, you're fellowshipping with, in the, and, and Paul, in this case, and the brothers that he sent. All of these things that he's mentioning are fruit of the worldliness that came back into the Corinthian church. Those things should not be in the church. They should not be in your life. Take the examination. Do you see, Paul says to them, do you have these in your life? They've got to go because I'm showing up. And if when I show up, I shall not find you in such a position where those things are going on in the church anymore. It's got to, it had to have been taken care of. And when I come back, they cannot be there. His hope was that they would deal with the sin in their lives and repent and get it out. Or he says, I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. He's coming a whole different Paul this third time. He may have been weak and meek and sort of not that dominant uh, leader and his command voice. He comes in in the previously very quiet, mild, and listening and watching and being a monk. Now he says, wait a minute, when I come this third time, I am going to be in a whole different posture of dealing with you. Why? Because he has the authority. He was the leader of the church. And he was going to deal with the sin in the camp. Because there's tumults. There's, there's this, this confusion and unrest that was happening in the church. There was, there was there's conceits. There's this pride, this self-promotion, this vanity that was being a plethora within the church. But he says, I shall be found by you such as you do not. See, Paul was so looking forward to this visit. But he recognized that he may have to deal with unrepentant people. Verse 21, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. So not only sins of the spirit, but he also names the sins of the flesh that were taking part in the people within that congregation. Things that he had dealt with and, and told them he had to get it out of the church. But there were some who still were unrepentant. There were still some allowed to stay in the church and that cannot happen. He says, now when I show up, I will deal with it personally. If you guys cannot take care of it among the people, then I will deal with it. Because he says... When I come, I'm going to get God, my God will humble me among you. I must, he must have been humbled because can you imagine he's poured into these people. It was his church that he started. He's been ministering to them. He sent letters. He sent people. And now he's going to be humbled when he shows up. And he looks and he looks at the state of the congregation. He looks at the people and go, God, where did I go wrong? How could this be? How can the people still be in the state of the sin that they're in? Have I not taught them the truth? Have I not encouraged them in the faith? Have I not spoken to them directly to communicate the truths of God? Why do they continue to live in a state of, of sin? And he's humbled by this because he realized... He must not have been effective within the ministry. But Paul continues, though. He says, but I'm going to mourn for you. 
He didn't mourn for himself. He mourned for them because he understood the consequences of their decisions to continue to live in sin. And it was going to bring disaster, as we will see. Why? Because it's not like they were, Paul, I'm, I, I've been fighting it. I've had accountability. I'm in the word. I'm in fellowship. I'm in prayer. I've been staying. But there's some time I get so weak, and I do fall into uncleanliness. Yes, at, at time I did fall into fornication again. Yes, I do fall into lewdness. Yes, that pornography did come back in. I try, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, I'm trying to run away from it. No, no, no. Paul says here at the very end, He's dealing with those who continue to willingly practice us things. And we know what the scripture says, don't we? Those who practice these sins, they have no desire to get, they actively want to do these things. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the scripture says. Take the examination. What do you find in your life today? If you practice such things, I mourn for you because destruction is on your way. But it's not too late. Today's the day of repentance. Today's the day you give your life to Christ. God spoke to your heart. Give those over to God today. Recognize you must change, and God will help you make that change. Just Turn your life over to him. That's, that's the examination today. Verse, as we continue in chapter 13, we'll see that Paul's love for them continues. His love was so great that he was willing to continue to show up even the third time at this church. He was willing to ignore these problems and permit them to continue in a way that he says, I'm going to come in and deal with these, but I'm showing up because I love you that much. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to sit there and say, I already told you once, you're out of here. But by grace, he continues to show up to continue to hoping and praying that today's the day of your salvation. Today's the day you will repent of your sins. He says in chapter 13, verse 1, This will be the third time, and I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell you, as if I were present the second time, and now being present, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. <laughs> Paul says, okay. I'm showing up because I love you. And when I show up, just understand, with, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, he might be referring to the fact that he was coming his third time. So he went there the first time, that was a witness. Second time he was a witness. And now a third time, his third visit, is now two or more witnesses. Or he could be referring to the fact that, hey, I have plenty of people that are witnesses of what is going on in that church. And because I have two or more witnesses, I will deal swiftly, or he refers to, I will not spare the judgment that will come. Why? Because God is going to work through his life to correct the wrong that's going on in that church. And we see it throughout the, throughout the scripture. Ananias and Sapphira. Try, try that as an example. Two people. Oh, at that time, the church, oh, it seemed to be a loving church, and they were selling their things to give to those who were in need. And you know the story. And here's a couple. They sold their, their, their possession, and they took this money, and they came. He came first and said, oh, I'm giving all that we sold for you. But it was a lie. The hypocrisy. And what did God do? That man dropped dead. Oh, then the wife shows up. Where has she been? She shows up and what has happened? Can you imagine the stir within the congregation? No one warned her? She shows up and does the same thing. And what happens? God takes her out. 
Peter said, you didn't even have to do that. You didn't, it was yours to own. You didn't have to give anything to the, to the, the, the congregation, to the church. You could have kept it all yourself. But your hypocrisy led to your destruction. God was working through the disciples. And he says, I'm about to come and I'm not going to spare because God is going to give me the words and he's going to give the actions and I can't guarantee you nothing that you're going to survive this. But since, verse 3, you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So we see Paul says here, you keep looking for proof that God is working through my life and speaking through your life to, to, to minister. And you keep critically looking. Oh, that pastor, Paul. I don't know. Do you, you think God's using him? Is he really called to be an apostle? He, yeah, he doesn't do exactly what we're looking for. Just because he looked and appeared weak physically, just because he didn't have the, the oracle skills like these false apostles did, didn't fit the profile that you judge someone to be or should be. He says, don't forget, Jesus was crucified in weakness. He's our example. He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. And Paul says, we also are weak in him. Physically, every aspect, I am weak as well. But it's the power of God that does the work through my life. That's what we understand. That's what we need to know. That is who we must need to reply on. So when you are weak and you cannot think you can continue in the ministries that God has called you, realize, yes, you're weak, but that is when you become strong because you allow and you cry out to God and allow God to work through you and power of Christ to be reigning in your life. That is how you continue to be that mom, that dad, or with all the other ministries that God's called you into. That is where we must understand and rely upon. Verse 5, Paul makes it very clear. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Examine. Take the test. Take the examination. Ask yourself, do I believe, do I know without a doubt that I am saved? That Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That I have accepted him and he's in and lives within me. That's what Paul's asking every Corinthian Christian right there. Ask the question, examine yourself, am I really a Christian? Or am I only a Christian in word only? Or do my actions line up with the words that I use? That's what Paul's asking them. That's what God is asking us today as well. Every believer has that assurance of salvation and knows how to endure the attacks that will come from Satan accusing them that they are not saved. The attacks will come, but you still have that assurance by God that you are saved. At the same time, we, all, we also understand that there are some who assume or presume they are Christians when they are not. And that's why we must take the examination and have that assurance 
that is given to us by the Spirit of God that we are saved and that our actions line up with the words, yes, I am a Christian. The question then asks more specifically, Pastor, give me something more concrete that I can test myself. I'm glad you asked. I hope you're writing things down. To examine yourself is to submit to the examination and the scrutiny of Jesus Christ the Lord. Is asking him by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's any wicked way in you. Anything that you're practicing within the flesh or of this world. You just ask the simple question. But let me give you more specifics. Paul told the Corinthians that they should examine their hearts to see if they were really born again and believers of the family of God. So here is the specifics. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Romans chapter 8 verses 9 and 16. I've already mentioned that. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and telling you that you are a child of God? It's a yes or no. Second, do you love believing brothers? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? That is 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. If you have take it or leave it, I don't, I don't need to hang with these guys. They're not my type. I'm not... I don't even, give me the worldly people. Give me my friends at work before the people at church. Question, take the examination. The scripture's clear. You should have a love for your brothers and sisters. Not just the ones you pick. I love the two in the, con- in the church today. I only love two and I only hang with those two. No, 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 no. Do you love your brothers and sisters in, in the faith? Next one. Do you practice righteousness? 1 John chapter 2, verses 29 and chapter 3, verse 9. Do you practice right things? Or do you practice sin? Take the examination. What is it? Have you overcome the world so that you are living a life of godly separation? 1 John 5, 4. Do you find yourself wanting to get away from the worldly things, the worldly conversations, the worldly actions, and the, the places and the environments and the, 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 everything? It's, it's all around you. Do you desire less of it to get away from it? Or do you look for it? Do you search the internet for it? You can't wait to get around people who are like it. Take the examination. Because if you're a child of God, you're fighting to stay away from it. And let it not have influence. And lastly here, and I can can give you 10, 15 more verses. But I'll give you one last one. 1 John 2, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. But this we know that we are in him. You have a love for the word of God. You cannot wait to read the word of God, to know the word of God, and to share the word of God with anyone who will listen. That is probably the number one indication for me when someone says, yes, I'm a Christian. I just have to watch. Do I see the love coming, bearing from their life? And if they're a brand new Christian, I just have to see a change, a regeneration. You want more of Jesus. And how do you know if you want more of Jesus? He's the word. You will desire the word. And no one will keep you from it. No boss. No spouse. No busyness. You cannot wait to be meditating day and night on the word of God. That is a great question on the examination you must ask. But he said, 
Paul says, unless indeed you are disqualified. Paul knew there were some among the Corinthian Christians who were disqualified for eternal life and salvation. They were not Christians. They were Christians in name only. But they were not children of God. They had not been regenerated. Their thinking was worldly. Because they were in and part of the world. They were still in the world. They were not of the Lord. And this is a very hard truth. This is not easy. A hard truth to confront. But you must take the examination and be honest with yourself. Do you really truly have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, by, and, and by faith alone in him alone? Have you surrendered your life or has it just been only emotion? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you? I hope you do. Verse 6, but I trust, Paul says, that you will know that we are not disqualified. He says, I trust that you've been watching my life. You've been examining. You've been really critical of my life. Have you seen anything in my actions that not line up with my words? That's Paul, why Paul said, I trust that you know that I'm not disqualified. I am a child of God. I am, I am saved. There's no question in Paul's mind. He's saying, I hope you have seen it. Now, he goes right into the, what we should all do for everybody else in this, this questioning. Verse 7, now I pray to God that you do no evil. Paul says, I, I pray that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable. Though we may seem disqualified, though I look weak, I don't look like the poster child of apostles. I don't have the, the, the communication skills that are eloquent. I don't have, I, 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 I'm not perfect. But I really hope you do the honorable thing and get sin out of the camp. Receive me coming in. Let us have a good, solid fellowship. Let us take that money and know that I'm not taking that money for me personally. I didn't ask for a tithe collection for, the, for Judea. Yeah, yeah, just collect the money and I'll take it down to the, and I didn't take it for myself. No, that's what he was being accused of. He says, I'm taking that money and doing exactly what I said I was going to do. Take it down to our brothers because we love them and they are in need. Do the honorable thing. Though, it may seem, though we may seem disqualified, verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. Where is Paul's foundation? The word of God. I do what I do because I cannot go against the truth of God. And everything I do do, I do because of the truth, because of the word of God. That is his foundation. Jesus said, I am the word. I am the truth. I am the way, I am the truth. And no one comes to the Father except by me. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the one that can give you life, eternal life. And he says in verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Paul says, we're glad. <laughs> You're not taking my joy. I have joy because it comes from the Lord and my relationship with the Lord because I'm doing exactly what the Lord's telling me. So I don't know what you're doing and how you're doing. It makes me mourn. It makes me grieved. I really saddened for you. And watching you go through these things in your life that you didn't have to do, you can choose to surrender your life to Christ. But for me, we are glad, even while we're weak, if that makes you strong or helps you in any way, hey, I, we're okay with this. 
And this we also pray that you may be complete, that you will eventually will mature in your faith. You'll finally get it. You'll finally surrender. You'll finally die yourself and then allow God to complete your life. Oh, I hope. That's my prayer, Paul says. Because Paul's weaknesses can contribute to the strength of the Corinthian Christians. And he was so glad in it. Because everything he was doing was for the benefit of them. He was loving them to edify them. To to bring and build them up. To mature them in their faith. Every meal that he spent with them, every time he would mourn and cried with them, every time that he had to rebuke and to, to correct, every high and every low that he spent with that man, those men and those women, he did it because he loved them and he wanted them to mature in their faith. Or as he referred to it as made complete. Not perfect, but mature in their faith. See, one of the ministries of our risen Lord is that of perfecting his people, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And he uses the word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, in the fellowship of a local church, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, to equip and to build up and help People be complete in their faith as people are equipped for life and for service. But he also, as we've studied the scriptures, like Paul's life, God uses sufferings as a tool to equip this as well, 1 Peter 5.10. He uses other Christians in your life to pray for one another, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. And he personally assists one another to help to perfect and to complete us in our faith. Galatians 6.1. Why would we turn anywhere else than the Lord? Why would we listen to any other author but the Lord for our life? That's why Paul says in verse 10, Therefore I write these things being absent. Lest being present, I should use sharpness. <laughs> so Paul knows, you've gotten face to face, you may not like what's going to come out of my mouth and the sharpness that's going to come. It's going to hurt because it's going to be a sharper than a two-edged sword, I assure you. So I think I, I'm going to write these things first to you to help you get ready and prepare for my arrival according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Because I'm writing these things, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to tell you the truth and nothing but the truth. But understand, is it going to be out of love? Because I do that for your edification. You're building up, not destruction of tearing you down. There is a difference. Some people love to tell you the truth, but their motivation is to tear you down. That is not a heart of a minister. Paul's heart was not to tear them down, but to build them up in their faith. That's why he says, I write these things because I have the authority. God has called me into this position as a pastor, as the, as the apostle, and I need to follow through with what God told me to do, regardless of how I feel and regardless of how you feel. I must take this authority. I must edify. I'm not here to destroy you. And finally, in verse 11 here, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So he closes this letter here, encouraging them. Be of good comfort. Don't. Don't stress out on me here. Be of one mind. Get get together. Be of one mind. Don't have your own personal agendas here. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Farewell is another word translated could be is rejoice. Brethren, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because I want you to be complete. I want you to mature. I want you to grow up. I want you to be comforted. I want you to not have these fragmented mind and wishy-washy and swayed by the, 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 the winds of doctrine that are going on. I want you to be settled on truth because when you do that, you will then have peace in your life. When you look and go into the worldliness, you will not have peace. You will not have joy. It only comes when you settle your life upon the truth of God, period. And that's what Paul's prayer is. That the God of love and peace would be within you. And then he finally says, verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Back then in the ancient culture, that's how they greeted one another with a with a holy kiss. Today we call it a handshake, a hug, or a warm gesture. But there was a there was interaction with the brothers and the sisters in the fellowship. You react, you don't just walk by and act like they don't they're not there. That did not happen. If there's truly love in your heart for one another's brothers and sisters in the family of God, you would greet one another in a warm loving. You don't avoid them you don't pass by them you don't act like you don't see them that is the way the world works that is not how a child of God lives and then what an awesome incredible closure here of this letter and it's the only place you will find it in all the scripture the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We see the Trinity right here in the closure. What solid communication that Paul is giving to them brings them back to the foundation of their faith in God. One God revealed, manifested in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the only place we see this. But Paul makes it very clear. Paul desired the blessing of the triune God so that the grace manifested by Christ and the love expressed by God, by the God the Father and the fellowship, the koinonia, the fellowship, the communion created by the Holy Spirit might be experienced in the lives of those believers in Corinth. And that is God's desire for you and I today. Paul wanted them to be blessed by, as a true Christian. For a true Christian is one who seeks and enjoys the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And the Corinthian believers then, if they take the examination and correct their life, and all believers now desperately need the blessings of God's grace and his love in this in communion. Every believer does. And if each believer is depending on the grace of God and walking in the love of God and participating actively participating in the fellowship of the Spirit and not walking according to the flesh or of this world, you will find then you will be part of the answer of what God wants to do for his kingdom and not become the problem within the church of how he wants to work and use the church in this for his kingdom. Take the examination. And I pray today that you have all passed that examination. But if there's anyone here today, this is Corey. I didn't pass the examination. Well, let me tell you, today is the best day of your life. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Be saved 
and have the promise, the assurity of eternal life. No more fear. No more being on the path to going to hell, but you'll be going to heaven and you have that assurance. If you genuinely will surrender your life, repent of those sins. Give them to God because he will take care of them for you. Just choose today who you will follow by faith. Will you choose to follow Jesus Christ today? Then ask him to come into your life and he will. And he'll seal you for eternity. Amen.